Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, what a very, very... um, hope everybody can hear me on that side. Can you hear me all right, Martha? Um, uh, What a tricky, tricky gospel reading this is. Um, Typically, this is uh, the Sunday that you pass on to the associate, and so, and let them deal with it, or you preach from the Old Testament. Uh, But uh, the way you understand this, and uh, I'm going to teach it to you, uh, um, give you a little bit of a theology lesson. And uh, it's very important that you understand this, because this is the very heartbeat of Christianity. The entire Bible can be summed up in two very important words, uh, law and gospel. Those are the two words that everything can be summed up with. And it's so important that these two words remain distinct. Unfortunately, throughout uh, Christian history and uh, biblical interpretation, Uh, these words have oftentimes been muddled together, and Christianity then loses its distinction, its distinctiveness, and it becomes a moralistic behavior modification plan. That's what Christianity becomes, no different than any other real religion. The great 16th century reformer uh, of Strasbourg, his name was Theodore Beza, Um, he was associated with some of the English reformers as well, but uh, he wrote, ignorance of the distinction between law and gospel is one of the principal sources of all abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity to this day, and I would say even to this day as well. So I'm going to make this distinction for you so you begin to understand it clearly. When talking about the first word, law, you need to know that the law is holy, righteous, and it's good. A lot of people misunderstand and they try and pit law and gospel against each other. It's not true. The law is holy, righteous, and good. And it's fluid. And it can manifest itself in all sorts of things from the Ten Commandments The St. Paul reminds us that the law is written upon our hearts in Romans, so it manifests itself in your intention and in your conscience. You know the difference between right and wrong? And one could argue that the law has two primary functions. Two primary functions. The first function is what's called the civil function. It restrains evil. It cannot solve the problem of evil but it can restrain it. And therefore, the law functions to help create a civil society, if you will. So red means stop, green means go. Don't run the red light or you're going to kill people. Those doors are locked. Stay outside. The law functions to help form a civil society. The golden rule, that would be the summation of the law in its civil sense. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The function of the law is what deems an individual righteous before other people. This is what, you know, deems you righteous before other people, makes you, quote-unquote, a good person. Now, there's a second function of this law, and uh, this is one of its unique to Christianity. It's its theological function, we could call it. And the Bible teaches about the law, and now here's the thing, it might be shocking and new to you, but the law teaches that full obedience to the law of God, both in your action and most importantly your heart and intention, 
must be rendered perfectly throughout your entire life in order to be righteous before God. The law demands a pure, holy, unalloyed obedience given from birth to death without sin. And the law, therefore, condemns absolutely anyone who does not obey it perfectly. The reformers go lex semper accusat. The law, in its theological sense, is always accusing you. Moses, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, quoting Moses. St. Peter in his epistle, quoting Jesus and Moses. They say the same thing. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that working for you? St. James, he says, uh, he says in his epistle, anyone who breaks one of the commandments is guilty of breaking them all. How's that working for you? It's not a divine suggestion. It's not do your best and God will do the rest. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's from St. Benjamin Franklin, um, not one of the apostles. And so that was supposed to be screamingly funny. But anyway, um, uh, here's the thing. The problem is us, and it's our instincts. And we're wired in such a way to believe that if we just do our best in regards to the first function of the law, that that will count in regards to the second function of the law. So if we're like a really nice person, just kind of living our life and doing the best, then God's going to be like, hey man, that's great, good job, you know? That somehow righteousness before humans equates to a righteousness before God rather than understanding that when it comes to God and his law, the point of the law is not a ladder. Nowhere in the Bible is the law ever spoken of as a ladder for you to climb. Rather, the law is a magnifying glass that reveals and exposes sin and reveals our need for the gospel. You shall have no other gods but me. Well, what that reveals is you've got a lot of other things you're serving. Reveals our need for the gospel, where God's mercy and grace is found. And it says, all is forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is getting at in the first section of our gospel. And why the Pharisees took such offense of him. The Pharisees weren't offended at Jesus for him telling people to love each other. You know, it was like, Jesus was was just telling people to love each other. That's, That's not what got people's backs up. What got people's backs up is that people who thought that they were righteous before humans, that that equated righteousness with God, and you need to be forgiven. Boy, that gets your back up. You need to be forgiven. Ugh. That's what the Pharisees took so at such offense. They thought the outside defined the inside. The deed defined the doer. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, he's speaking of specifically the dietary restrictions of the law of Moses. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer? But what comes out from the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. The point that Jesus is making And it gets the Pharisees so upset is that before God, it isn't first and foremost what you do for God, nor is it your pedigree. Jesus says the issue is your very, very heart. 
And what we need are clean hearts. This is one of the prayers we'll be bringing back on kickoff Sunday, the collect of purity. Almighty God, and Kremner understood this, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Not cleanse the thoughts of our minds, but cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Kremner understood this. He said, your brain's not calling the shots. What the heart desires, the mind justifies, and the will will follow. That's what he said. And this is my first point. The religion of the Pharisees, and this is every other religion out there, including highly legalistic, uh, our highly legalistic secular culture, you know, which is emerging in this country, and sadly, some very heavy forms of uh, legalistic Christianity, both on the left and the right. They're in both forms. But what they want and what they teach is that the outside defines the inside. And that's wrong. I mean, just think about your own life. You may have a big smile on your face. You must be happy. Never mind the fact that you're barely holding it together. You know, never mind the fact that your heart is broken. Jesus is teaching the profound truth that the smile alone The outside doesn't define the true state. And more poignantly, the true state before God. And throughout time, you see, when the righteousness of man gets confused with and muddled with righteousness before God, a cruel and merciless culture is created. Because everything becomes subjective. I become the arbiter of righteousness. You become the arbiter of righteousness. And we lead everyone into a pit, as Jesus says. That pit is self-righteousness, and it ultimately ends in death. You see, a cruel and merciless culture was created in Jesus' day by the Pharisees. You see a cruel and merciless culture where this thing gets confused. You see it in places like Saudi Arabia and Iran see it in our own culture with cancel culture and there's no forgiveness when we confuse righteousness with individuals between righteousness and God and we become God himself it becomes a very very cruel society as Robert Farrah Capon points out the great Episcopal theologian he says Jesus does not come to see if we're good he comes to disturb the caked conventions by which we pretend to be good And with that in mind, we begin to understand that this encounter between Jesus and the Canaanite woman, this is why he says, you don't understand the parable yet, Peter? Well, it's going to become a living parable. It's going to be a living illustration of what the gospel, God's second word to us, is all about. His word of freedom, what that's all about. In this event that seems so un-Jesus-y, God is going to teach us the gospel. I just made that word up. But uh, it's, you know, it's very powerful. This passage, though, a little confession to all of you. This passage, for a long time, gave me great trouble. Like I said, I always passed it off to the assistant or uh, preached from the Old Testament that week. Uh, But I missed the message. This trouble gave me a lot of trouble. This passage gave me a lot of trouble because I missed the message. I didn't understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. I thought the outside defined the inside. 
the deed defined the person. And hence, very piously, of course, I saw myself as an entitled person before God. I saw myself as someone that God owed something to. I mean, come on, I'm wearing a collar for crying out loud, you know? I'm really doing it. I, you know, I would, when I pray the prayer of humble access, you know, I'd be like, of course, of course, Lord, I'm not worthy to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but sort of. I mean, I am wearing a collar. And so, you know, this was a, you know, this was a real problem. And this is where most people are at. They think that God owes them something. And when it comes to God, this encounter, unlike that of the Pharisees, um, and at this moment the disciples, is actually a very honest and true encounter. This encounter between Jesus and the Canaanite woman is, is the world as it actually is. You know, sometimes life seems like all we're getting from God is a giant no. You know, you've been doing everything right, you've been praying like crazy, and you keep getting this big, what seems to be, a no from God. Luther nails it when he preached on this text. He said, The healing is not so much for this woman or for her faith as it is for Jesus' disciples and for us. Jesus, in this moment, is training all of us in what great faith looks like. And this is my second point. In a merciless world, in a world where it seems like you're getting constantly a no from God, where there are insiders and there are definitely outsiders, and God seems to be silent at best or capricious at worst, living faith, the gospel, at work in a person's life, in this age can take the shape of a desperate Canaanite woman who embraces her doggedness and doggedly pursues and clings to the promise of the gospel hidden under Jesus' seemingly rejection. Jesus here is teaching the disciples and us to hang on to his words and trust him and not our feelings, or even how God seems to be treating us in this very moment. This is the point of the prophet Isaiah when he calls them back to the covenant of Abraham. He's like telling them, don't go by what's going on right now or how you're feeling. Look to that promise that I made to Abraham. Where through his seed, the entire world will ultimately be blessed. The gospel is true, no matter how you feel. I love how Capon goes on to put it. He says, living well, listen to this, living well is certainly the human race's commonest criterion for distinguishing the saved from the lost. Oh, they look like they're doing great. The outside defining the in. But in the mystery of the kingdom, it is precisely living badly. In this particular instance, being a Canaanite woman that turns out to be the true vehicle of saving grace. I mean, think about this. Jesus calls her a dog, an ethnic slur, and then he presses the issue by upholding the law. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
But Matthew writes, she cries out. And notice when she addresses him, she doesn't address him as, hey, Jesus, pretty cool guy. She addresses him as the Messiah, the son of David, the savior of the world. But she cries out at that first rejection. And the Greek, when it says she called out all the more, the Greek is she begins to worship him. And in the English it says, help me, but it's so much more than that. It is literally, save me. In her worship, she is crying out, save me. She is appealing to the covenant that was made with Abraham, that through his seed, all the world would be blessed and saved. We learn from this woman that true faith hears the yes of God buried inside what oftentimes seems to be the Lord's no. Real faith will not let go of Jesus no matter what. For without him, real faith reminds us that there is no hope. For faith knows that Jesus not only uplifts the law, but he fulfills it in his gospel. As the 18th century Scottish divine Ralph Erskine once wrote in his poem, Law and Gospel, the law will not abate a mite, the gospel all the sum will quit. There God in threatening is arrayed, but here in his gospel, promises displayed. The law excludes not boasting vain, but rather feeds it to my bane. But gospel grace allows no boast save in the King, the Lord of hosts. So Jesus tells this woman, let it be done for you as you desire. Jesus says to her warmly and gently, and now accepting. And at that moment, he spoke those words, the demons left his little daughter and she was healed. Just a word from the word incarnate and the demons must obey. And it's in this distinction between the law and the gospel that we understand more importantly. And we receive the faith of the Canaanite woman. It's in this distinction that we receive a faith that understands before the law of God, we're all stray dogs. And we deserve nothing. But it's in this distinction with the gospel that we can cry out with a greater prayer, Lord, save me. And because of Jesus and his gospel, we know for a fact that all dogs, especially the stray ones, like me, in his mercy, we go to heaven. And because of the dogs, because of the gospel, dogs like you and me get the crumbs that fall generously from their master's table. But those crumbs, we discover, are a rich and amazing fare. Take, eat. This is my body, which has been given for you. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when you hear those words, you remember that those words are Jesus' words to you and for you. The same Jesus who went to the dogs in his death on a garbage dump outside the hill of Jerusalem where your sins and the sins of the world were once and for all taken care of. 
Let me tell you, dogs have never had it so good as when they're under the master's table because that's the safest place to be. And this is my third point. When the law and the gospel are properly distinguished, grace and mercy are never cheapened. It's oftentimes the accusation. They're never cheapened. Rather, they are accentuated and forgiven by God in Jesus' name. You are so much more than what the world tells you you are. You are so much more than what the world tells you you are. In Jesus, you are so much more than what you actually see. As St. Paul has reminded us, your life is hidden in Christ, and you are part of a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You belong to the treasured possession of our God. In Jesus, despite what you see and what you may be going through, you who were once not a people are now the people of God. And in Jesus, you who once did not know mercy have received mercy. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. And my friends, that is so much more than simply scraps from the table. That is the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation that assures you that because of Jesus you are righteous before God. And now you can go in freedom to serve your neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.